0: Well, good morning. Uh, Wonderful to be among you. Sorry, I didn't pause long enough, did I? Good morning. (laughs) I invite you to open up your Bible to Romans chapter 8. And I'm, I'm just going to be actually reading two verses to you. The verse that uh, we're going to start with is Romans 8, 28. And then I just want to go back and read Romans 8, verse 11, which I'll speak on as well. In Romans eight twenty-eight, Paul says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And then over in verse 11, a little bit earlier, Paul says, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who lives in you. Let's pray as we begin. Father, we commit our time to you. We pray that it would be your word that speaks this morning and that, Father, your spirit might work among us, even as this wonderful passage focuses so much on that precious gift of your spirit. We pray all this now in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a self-evident fact that change is an enormous issue for humans. An entire industry exists set up to deal with the issue of change in people's lives. Some enormous outward change hits you. The death of a spouse. The departure of a spouse. The loss of a parent or child. Some enormous outward change hits And it could be one of any thousand and one other things. And you suddenly realize that you need help to deal with it. Then on that flip side, the the absence of change can create just as many issues. I cannot stop myself looking at things that I shouldn't look at. I cannot stop eating too much of that thing. Or drinking too much of that thing. Or again, a thousand and one other things that we might want to change, but we can't. This is a huge subject. This is a huge industry. And you know, all this kind of makes me a little nervous as I even stand up here to speak to you this morning, quite frankly, on the subject of change. Especially when you visit a church where you don't know people. I mean, for example, sitting in the front row could be the, uh, the head of the counselling department at Kennesaw State University. Sitting down the back could be the chair of the, philosophy, uh, of the uh, sorry psychology department at Emory. So be patient with me a little bit. You know, the, there's an expression where angels fear to tread, and it describes somebody who goes into a subject area where they're not qualified to speak about and tries to say something meaningful and I certainly don't want to be that person this morning. So I need to begin this morning by adding a couple of qualifications. I'm not a trained psychologist. In my undergraduate degree I enrolled in one psychology subject, lasted two weeks before I changed to a computer science subject. (laughs) I'm not a trained counsellor. I took some counselling subjects during my seminary degree and I was a pastor for a number of years. But I make no claim on being a counsellor, a trained counsellor either. So you say, what on earth are you doing up here, talking on this subject of change and giving your opinion? Well, the good news is that I'm not here to give you my opinion. As far as I'm able, I'm here to tell you what the Bible says, which makes me feel a lot better. And I want to suggest to you this morning that the Bible actually has some very exciting things to say about this this subject of change. It has a voice that needs to be heard. So I'm not saying this morning by my title of change that there's no value in human wisdom. All truth is God's truth. And I'm certainly not claiming that I'm saying everything the Bible has to say about this subject of change. But insofar as I can open up for you this morning, Romans 8, a fantastic chapter that is dedicated to the subject of change. Insofar as I can open up for you this morning, Romans 8, and what it has to say, I will have done my job and you will have been blessed by the Lord. Not because of me, but because God's wisdom is always worth hearing. And God's truth, if we will believe it, brings about change in our lives. Now if you think about it for just a minute, the real tension that we often feel when it comes to change, whether it's outside or inside change, so often revolves around an anxiety that we feel that bad things won't get any better and that good things will inevitably get worse. Don't you think this is true? I remember a friend of ours recently in a Bible study said When things are going well, I kind of hold my breath waiting for something to go bad. And when it comes to inner change, the opposite can be true. I'll never overcome this sin that's ruining all my relationships. I'll never be able to overcome my deepest fears. So often with change, the issue is about being out of control. But the exciting thing this morning is, that what our passage is going to tell us is that God has everything in control. You and I can cope with change. You can, and I can. And you and I can change on the inside out, even in your areas of greatest struggle. And it won't necessarily even mean giving up chocolate or fast foods. Well, let's start then with the subject of outward change. Because this is a really simple and straightforward place to begin. Hello, didn't you just spend five minutes qualifying how difficult this subject is and how it's not so straightforward? Well, yes. But you know, sometimes things become very complicated and more complicated than they need to become when we don't know the right answer. You know, it's always the case, isn't it? Things can become very complicated if you ignore or you're not aware of the simple answer You have to try to find your way through a a vast range of possibilities. So often the answer to things is, is a simple answer. And so it is in this case. And in fact, it's a very familiar answer. It comes from a verse that many of you are familiar with. If you've been a Christian for a time, it comes from Romans 8, verse 28, which says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. This verse near the end of our chapter for this morning is very familiar to many Christians, as I said. But did you realize that this verse is actually saying what it seems to be saying? When some change comes in your life that rocks your world, what can you say? God works all things for the good of those who love him. When some unexplained loss comes in your life, you lose a loved one or you've lost your job and nothing makes sense, what can you say to yourself? God works all things for the good of those who love him. When evil people cause you grief in your life and enormous pain and there is injustice that has come into your life that hasn't been dealt with, what can you say? Everyone say with me, God works all things to the good of those who love him. This verse means what it means. And in fact, the good news is that it's stuck here, even though we don't have time to show this, in context of this entire book of Romans, it is stuck here by Paul for this very purpose, to explain how you and I can cope with outward change. No change can ever rock you. When you remember and believe, everyone again, that God works all things for the good of those who love Him. Maybe if we keep saying it, there'll be a little bit more volume. (laughs) I'm waiting for an amen later on, so get ready for that. You see, because every situation makes sense when you believe that God is acting in love and for your good. Don't you agree? What can possibly rock your world if you believe this? But herein lies the problem, doesn't it? How can you believe when the world comes crashing down upon you? It's easy if you're sitting here and you're not going through a difficulty to kind of mouth the words and say, yeah, I believe this. But you know in your own mind and heart that as problems get deeper and more complicated, the world starts pressing in upon you and anxiety starts coming, and it becomes extremely difficult to believe this truth. How can you and I believe this? Well, let me say this. You believe it because you know it is true. See, two of the most neglected words in this simple verse that we know and we've repeated so many times are the first two words. And we imagine somehow that these words are just here for the sake of window dressing. We know means eyes up. We know means wake up. We know means sit up and listen, take notice. But actually, that's not what they mean at all. This is entirely wrong. Because in verse 26, only two verses later, Paul has said that sometimes we don't know. We don't know, he says, what we should pray. But it's at this very moment that the Spirit of God who knows our minds makes clear to the Father exactly what you're thinking. You and I have a piece of God within us, if I could put it that way. So that even when we don't know what we should pray, He knows. Because He knows our minds. Sometimes we don't even know. I don't know if you've been in that situation. I have. Sometimes I'm driving and I'm thinking, I don't know what to pray about this. And I just say, Holy Spirit, you take over. Tell the Lord what he, tell the Father what he needs to hear. Sometimes we don't know what to pray, but the Spirit of God living in us knows and tells the Father. How good is that? How wonderful is that? Now Paul turns things on their head though in verse 28. This is not one-way traffic, you see, with the Spirit simply spying on our hearts, but rather it is two-way traffic with God knowing us by His Spirit and us knowing God through the same Spirit. He knows our mind and we know His, and Paul says exactly that in 1 Corinthians when he says we have the mind of Christ because we have the Spirit of Christ living in us. You see, a robbery occurred just recently in Australia, to illustrate this point, of a casino, and it was quite a high-tech job that was carried out. A man playing at one of the card tables is wired to a friend working in the security area on the cameras. The friend can actually see the cards of all the other players at the table. And so the guy who's playing gets all the information, The guy sitting at the table is in the know. He knows everything. He knows what is going on and so he has complete control over the game. That's how it is with us. You and I are wired to God and he to us. We are connected with God and he to us. We have the mind of God and he knows our minds too. Because we have the spirit of God living in us. Oh, that you and I would have a more robust view of the Holy Spirit. You see, but the irony that often happens is that we talk ourselves and each other out of what we know to be true. How crazy is that? Crazy, but oh dear, have I seen it happen. Recently we had a very sad and tragic thing happen in our lives. Some dear friends of ours were a long way into their pregnancy and they gave birth to their child who only lived for two hours because uh, the little boy's lungs were not developed enough. And I turned up at the hospital half an hour before their son Sam. Sam's life had passed. And you can imagine the, the sadness, of course, and the grief at that moment but we sang together while, he, while little Sam was still alive we prayed together we laughed we cried and in the midst of all of this there was a deep-seated confidence that existed in these two young dear uh, young Christian people who we know and love And they were starting to talk, even at that moment and in the days beyond, in expansive terms about how God was using this for his glory and for for their good, teaching them lessons and doing wonderful things in the lives of their family and in the lives of others. Now, what did the Christians around them say to this? Did they say, well, glad you're putting on a good face? No, but really, how are you feeling about this? you must be angry, you must be frustrated, you must be confused. In the name of sympathy, we can sometimes end up making things worse by pointing others too much back to their own minds where there are no answers and away from God's mind where all the answers are to be found. And we do this because, well, to be frank, we would think it is not possible that such talk could be anything other than a sham at a moment like this. No one thinks like that, do they? Unless they're deluding themselves. Or maybe unless they know something that you and I can't know at that very moment of grief. Praise God, those around our friends didn't try and talk them out of what they knew to be true. Praise God they didn't try and talk each other out of what they knew to be true. Praise God they didn't try to talk themselves out of what they knew to be true. As Christians, we are equipped like no one else is to cope with whatever this life brings. No issue, either in the form of slow-turning pain, which my wife and I and our family have known through the years, or sudden tragedy, Need to destroy our world, not because we're living in some dreamland, convincing ourselves of what we know isn't true. Go talk to a psychologist, and they will tell you that that's called neurosis. And when a person tries to convince themselves of what they know isn't true, they end up in a mental institution, which only goes to prove that you and I really do know. We really do have the mind of God. Because when we say, everyone, is your last chance. God works all things for the good of those who love him. We are saying this because we know it's true. Because we have the spirit of God living in us. Let us stop trying to talk ourselves out of what we know to be true. And God forbid that we would try to talk others out of what they know to be true as well. Well, so much for outward change. What about inward change? Well, this one is bound to be more difficult, isn't it? At least with outward change, you can see what's going on. But with inward change, so often it is hidden and dark and confusing. Why do I keep thinking this thought over and over again? Why do I keep desiring this thing that I shouldn't desire? Why am I so confused about this? Outward change, at least you can see it. But who can see what's going on on the inside? Who indeed? See, guess what? The answer is actually equally straightforward, according to what the Bible says here. Though nuanced a little differently. Because ultimately, it's the same answer we're talking about the subject of inward change and by now you should have guessed what it already is if you, we should do a little quiz if you haven't guessed maybe uh <laughs> fail I'm speaking as the professor here now can you guess the answer the answer is the holy spirit yet again is the answer for outward change through him god knows us and we know him he's the one who deals with outward change so who would be so foolish as to think and imagine that the answer to inward change is any different the answer to that question is many of us today too often when we look for a solution to inward change we look in every other place but the holy spirit let me illustrate this to you some years ago i was stu- when i started studying my phd in new testament i came on staff part time at a church I was an assistant to the pastor, and the assistant himself was a good friend. When we arrived at the church, uh, David, the pastor, said, Look, Bruce, I want to introduce you, and as your first event, even before Sunday morning service, I want you to come along to a Bible study that's been running at my house for young believers and new believers. Here's the booklet. Here's what we've been covering. Could you read through the study, and I want to kind of join you in and introduce you and include you. Well, as I opened the book, I noticed that the title of the study for that that Wednesday night was, How Can I Change? I thought, fantastic. This is bound to be a wonderful study. But how, how wrong I was. As I read through to the end of the study, I realized that they did not mention the Holy Spirit once in the entire study. Figure that. That's like writing a book on fishing and not including the word fish anywhere in the book how can I change and the Holy Spirit the very solution himself to the issue of change is not included once in the entire study well I was facing a dilemma I didn't want to be that person at the Bible study I'd been to plenty of studies and led some studies myself where that person was in the study, that troubling person. And so on the way to the stali- study I'm driving there, thinking of some good one-liners that I could possibly use, good stuff, excellent. Uh, yes, yes, I, I really like the, uh, the layout of the study. Uh, I, I really like the font and, and the margins, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, when you know it, the first thing that happens as the study begins is that David turns to me and says, Bruce, you're here, you're new. Why don't you start us off by telling us exactly what you thought of the study? <laughs> so I say, Well, Dave, I thought it was good, and, and I thought he made some great points, and I'm sorry. But I've got to say, I was a bit shocked that he doesn't mention the Holy Spirit once in the entire study. Okay, okay, thank you, Bruce. Appreciate that. (laughs) Thanks very much. We'll come back to you at the end of the study and see if we've answered your questions. Well, I know he's not gonna answer my questions if he follows the material that's in front of him. And so I start praying earnestly that he wouldn't come back to me. I pray that the spirit of forgetfulness would descend upon him like a mist I say, dear Lord, may he forget to ask me. May he forget to ask me. He didn't forget. In fact, he comes back to me in the end in the strongest possible way. And he says, now, Bruce, have we answered your issues? And I say, well, issues, you know, I'm new here and I'm having issues, right? (laughs) And I say, well, Dave, yes. Yes, it did answer my questions. Well, no. How can you talk about the subject of change and not include the Holy Spirit at all? Praise to God I didn't get fired. But this illustrates the whole problem. And I've observed this again and again. group of prominent reform pastors on the internet sitting in a room talking about addiction. The Holy Spirit is not mentioned once in the entire talk. How can that be? How can that be? It's like talking about forgiveness and not mentioning Jesus. See, again, when you look at God's answer, the answer is simple, maybe too simple, or maybe too threatening to our naturalistic mind. It's found in verse 11 of chapter 8. This entire chapter is about change, but I'm just picking on two verses now. Verse 11, if you've got it in front of you, it says this. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit that dwells in you. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. You see, there's an assumption in this verse that's reaching back, actually, to the end of Romans 7. In fact, it's kind of grabbing hold of the whole of Romans 7 and kind of ruffling it up into the climactic verse right at the end. And the verse at the end of Romans 7 says this. Paul says, who will rescue me from this body of death? The assumption that Paul brings into Romans 8 that he expects us to get and to know is that our issues on the inside are not just a sniff or a cough or a sneeze or a wheeze or a gagging or even a choking. The problem is that we are dead on the inside. And no wonder we sense our problems are so huge when we look at ourselves on the inside because they are. Let's own up to it. That's one of the wonderful things of Scripture. It is so honest about who we are. But what Romans 8 again shows is that God is up to the challenge. How can you or I raise the dead? Good luck. Good luck in trying. But oh, what a glorious but this is. But if the spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also. We have a son who's here with us this morning, who we love, Joshua, who is quite possibly the most tidy person in the entire world. Whenever anything is left where it shouldn't be, Josh picks it up and puts it away. So when it comes to me looking for my keys, no problem. It doesn't matter if I left them on the sofa or under the sofa, or on the sofa cushion. Josh will find them and put them in my drawer where they belong. No, you can't have him. He's my son. (laughs) He's amazing. He's wired to be clean. And that's just the way he is. That's just who he is. And so it is when it comes to the Spirit who lives in us. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then what's he going to do in you? You say, Oh, I have death in me. Yes, and he's in the resurrection business. So he raised Christ from the dead. He will also give life to your mortal bodies. You see, it's true that you and I will be resurrected on the last days, he will raise us up on the last day. But that's not what the context is here in this chapter. The context here is the context of change, here and now, here and now in this world. And so what Paul is saying is that Christians have the power to change here and now, even though death is in us. Isn't it beautiful? The Scriptures own up to the complete depths of our problem inside, that we are dead. But the Spirit who lives in us is the Spirit who has a pretty good-looking resume. His resume reads raised the dead to life and if he can raise the dead to life then is there any problem in your life and mine that is too big for him to deal with amen belongs here amen isn't this great stuff the holy spirit says chronic lust dealt with that before chronic bitterness no problem grief and loss dealt with that one before plenty of times if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in us then what problem in your life is so bad that he cannot deal with it put your hand over your mouth if you're thinking about answering that question because there is no answer There is nothing that he cannot do if he has raised the dead. But the question that presses us here once again is how? How does this power come to change us? Well, how has it worked so far? It's all been about God being in us and us being one with God, remember? God knows us and we know him because we have his spirit. Well, you see, nothing has changed here at all. But here is where I could really get myself into deep trouble with a health professional. There was an incident that recently occurred in Australia. A current affairs show showed a a piece where a doctor stood up and said, you know, statins that you're taking for your cholesterol, they're actually really bad for you and they don't do any good. You should just come off them. And so there was a huge explosion in the medical community. People were coming to their doctors saying, I I watched the show. I don't trust you. I've decided to come off my... My medicine. So here's where I could really go wrong. I could say, you know, ditch your antidepressants. You have the Spirit of God living in you. Personal struggle with substance abuse? Don't worry about it. Have a quiet drink. Start having a quiet drink at home when no one's around. I could go really wrong here and say that because you have the Spirit, you just need to let go and let God. Well, that's not what I'm going to say here this morning. Sometimes the Lord chooses to change us over a period of time but the greatest disaster would be that because he seems to be taking his time we somehow run to other solutions and we push him off the table as if he is not the answer to everything he needs to stay on the table he needs to remain because he is the answer to this problem of inward change that we face some years ago I had someone come to me and say You know what my problem is? I don't want to do the right thing. I don't want to share my faith. I don't want to love other people. I don't want to die to myself. That's my problem. What did I say to that person? What would you say to that person? (laughs) Here's what I said to them Who's been whispering lies in your ear? who's been whispering lies in your ear the real you who I know is born again the real you loves to do what is right the real you does want to do what is right because the real you is the spirit of Jesus living in you who is bringing life to your mortal bodies you see there is a place a big place according to scripture for believing what is true Jesus at one point it says Jesus could not perform many miracles in that place because of the people's unbelief which it, and what this at least suggests is that if you are determined to believe things about yourself that are not true then in a sense it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy Maybe sometime I can come and preach on Romans 6, where Paul says, Reckon yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. But all that to say that believing things about yourself that are false rather than true can sometimes make an enormous difference. And so it is in this case. You know, one of the most formative moments in my time when I arrived in America seven years ago. A country that we now call home. I became a citizen just a few months ago. I'm very excited about that. One of the most formative moments was when I discovered the expression, man up. <laughs> I first heard it was when, when I was in a used car lot looking for a van for our family. We just arrived in, a, in America. And there was a guy, a good old southern boy, wearing his cap backwards. He was, he, his grandfather owned the, the lot, a little uh, car lot. And he was showing me around some cars, and, and all of a sudden, his assistant came up to him and, and was kind of really stuttery, and he said to him, Sir, the people over there said that you'd give them a ride home. And the guy said, Well, no, I didn't say that. I said, If they needed a ride home, they should talk to me, and I would organize it for them. Go tell them. Go tell them that. And the young guy kind of walks away, and he says, Or, or else, you give them a ride home. You decide what you're going to do. Well, the the young assistant was kind of timid and he he turned that way and then he turned back again as if he wanted to say something and then turned back again. And then all of a sudden the owner looks at him and says, Oi, man up. What was he really saying here? He was saying, stop dithering around this way and that. You know what is true. You know what you need to do. Now do it. There are a lot of christians i think that are dithering around looking this way and that when the answer is there in front of them we're looking for some secret formula some instant fix maybe some instant fix to to receiving the spirit's power in one quick burst maybe some external solution we're kind of like peter who walks out on the water and the wind blows, and we start sinking, and we panic. And of course, when that happened, Jesus looked down at Peter and said, Oh, poor Peter, I can understand why you are so scared. No, he says, why did you doubt? Jesus says, I told you to walk out on the water. Who are the wind and the waves to think, make you think otherwise? I'm not pretending this morning that I've answered all the questions. But I ensure that I have pointed you in a direction that you need to consider afresh because it is the teaching of Scripture. We have the resurrection spirit of God dwelling in us. And if that is true, and it is, then perhaps we need to sometimes be saying to ourselves and to one another, Christian up. Know that you have the spirit of God permeating you And dwelling in you that spirit of change that spirit who gives you the mind of God and that spirit who raised Jesus from the dead we need to step out in faith believing what the Word of God says we need to be who we are but maybe this morning there is somebody here who maybe has come for the first time or maybe has been here a few times and realizes that they don't actually know Jesus Maybe you've heard about the gospel, the good news of Jesus, how he died on the cross for our sins to take them away. But maybe you hadn't sort of understood more of what a joy and a blessing it is to be a Christian and how the Lord is able to come and make change in your life. And what you've heard this morning is enough to kind of push you over the edge. I'm going to pray for you and with you right now, if you're in that position, that you might, if the Lord has prompted your heart, to cry out to him this morning, that we would cry out together. Let's pray as we finish.